Well, friends, welcome today. This is the first of the exclusive uh, podcasts for the new Pro Ecclesia podcast. For those familiar with Baylor, um, Baylor's motto is Pro Texana, Pro Ecclesia, for Texas, for the church. I actually think those are reversed, aren't they, Dean Steele? Um, but we, we're borrowing from Baylor terminology for those unfamiliar with Baylor to promote this podcast that will be sometimes uh, a reformatting of the webinars, the Truett Church Network and Truett Seminary hosts, sometimes fresh content like today, um, that will really focus on uh, voices in, in leading voices in the ministry and, and the academy and the church in the academy, vo- focusing on pressing issues of pastoral ministry today. Um, but it will be for really leaders of, of all sorts, whether you are in congregational ministry, nonprofit or other ministry, we hope it will be meaningful for you. Today, our guest, our first guest for our podcast is Dean Todd Still. Fittingly, our first guest, Dean Todd Still. You've heard Dean Still, many of you on Todd Talks and on other podcasts, and you probably know him from your days at Truett, those of you who went to Truett. Todd has, along with uh, Truett professor Dr. Scott Gibson, has edited a new volume called With Radiant Hope, Timely and Timeless Reflections from George Truett, which is a collection of Dr. Truett's Uh, end-of-year messages to his church at First Baptist Dallas, which Todd will tell us a little bit about in a a little bit. Um, And so we wanted to discuss this as an end-of-year podcast discussing end-of-year messages and just see what their witness to us might be today. So Todd, welcome. We're glad uh, we are together once again here. Matt, thank you. Thank you not only for an opportunity to have this conversation, but thank you and the Truett Church Network for your innovation not least, Matt, during the pandemic. So grateful for you and for an opportunity to visit with you today. Well, thank you. Uh, Let's dive in. I mean, just tell us a little bit about how this volume came to be published, came into being, um, and maybe kind of just an overview of its contents. Matt, COVID-19 has stolen much from many. One of the things that's taken away from the Truett Seminary family is that each year as the fall semester comes to a conclusion, we gather together faculty, staff, students for a Christmas party. During the Christmas party, there's not only enjoyable food, as enjoyable as catered food can be, (laughs) there's not only an opportunity for fellowship around tables, but there's also a time of a program. And in this program, uh, it ranges widely, as you know, from uh, slapstick, almost humorous, uh, to ridiculous sometimes, uh, to very, very serious. And it's not unusual at the end of one of our Christmas banquets for Dr. Brian C. Brewer, Brian Brewer, uh, professor of theology at Truett Seminary, the first graduate from Truett Seminary to read a selection from George W. Truett's year-end messages. Dr. Scott Gibson is relatively new to our faculty, having come to us from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Dr. Gibson not only holds the Garland Chair in preaching, but he also serves as the director of the PhD in preaching. Dr. Gibson and his wife, Rhonda, were struck by the profundity, the solemnity of Truett's year in messages. And early this year, 
which seems to be 10 years ago, <laughs> uh, Scott approached me and he said, you know, Todd, um, it occurs to me that we would do well to take these year-end messages and make them more readily available. As it happens, Truett's year-end messages, 34 in number, came out originally in two books, the first of which was uh, called These uh, Gracious Years, uh, his messages from 1910 to 1928. The second volume that was published uh, posthumously by Miss George W. Truett was entitled unimaginatively Christmas Messages, and they were from 1929 to 1943. Scott said, these books are no longer under copyright. Why not take these books and make them more widely available? I said, terrific idea. And from there, Dan Gregory, who is one of Dr. Gregory's, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Gibson's administrative uh, colleagues, he's in the PhD in preaching, he sends me a PDF of these messages. I read through them and I say, I think Scott's onto something. So I approached David Acock, interim director of Baylor University Press and Kay Gerald, one of our graduates who is now an acquisitions specialist and a senior editor with this idea and they said, on you go. So next thing I know, you know, the lockdown had just started uh, back in March. I take these PDFs, I edit them, I put them into a single word document, and then I begin to go throughout and not only proof them, but also annotate them, uh, particularly where uh, Truett uh, uh, alludes to a verse that he doesn't actually cite, or he speaks of a person or a volume of literature, a hymn, and I will simply drop a note that will assist the reader uh, as they negotiate this volume. So that's the way that the volume began. And so if you pick up uh, with Radiant Hope, what you'll discover is, first of all, you'll think, well, this is a slender volume. And I would say, yes, slender, but substantive. <laughs> at, at times, invariably repetitive, because here you have a pastor who from 1910 through 1943 is writing to those who are a part of the First Baptist Church, friends of the church, and he's offering them well wishes as the year ends and the year begins. And in so doing, uh, these year end messages we call reflections. And after a brief introduction, we set forth with the initial preface to uh, those gracious years or these gracious years, uh, reflections one to 19, uh, 1910 through 1928. Then we include the preface from Christmas Messages, Reflection 20 through Reflection 34. And then we draw the uh, volume to a close by including the benediction that George W. Truett would pray over the congregation on Sunday evenings at First Baptist Church Dallas, which Dr. James W. Vardaman would on occasion remind us of because 
Dr. Vardaman, to whom this volume is dedicated. I was going to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, time beloved Baylor professor who recently passed away. Is that correct? That's right. And I, when I was putting this together, Matt, I reached out to Elizabeth Vardaman, Betsy, as she's fondly known, asking for her permission to dedicate this volume in James's legacy and memory. And uh, so we conclude the volume with that uh, benediction, uh, just re remarkably powerful. And, you know, uh, just a word about Dr. Vardaman. He, he grew up under George W. Truett's ministry and Dr. Vardaman would tell the story how he and his brother, uh, Jerry, and his uh, sister, Anne, uh, known to many as Ann Miller, another master teacher at Baylor, yeah. would walk with their mother to First Baptist Church of Dallas five miles one way. Really? Wow. And would then frequently walk back home <laughs> only to walk back again. For Sunday and, night church. <laughs> and Dr. Vardaman, you know, uh, Anne, Anne would speak of it, uh, of Dr. Truitt's presence as, quote, when God came to church. <laughs> but Dr. Vardaman would regale us with a story of the time that uh, he and his family came to a church supper. They themselves did not have sufficient money in order to purchase supper. And so Dr. Vardaman you could tell even then was telling the story, you know, kind of slinked over against a wall, kind of, you know, head bowed, somewhat embarrassed. And that great six foot, 200 pound uh, parson <laughs> comes over to Dr. Vardaman and says, young man, please get in line. And uh, he goes on to tell how Dr. Truitt took money out of his wallet paid for the entire family to enjoy the supper. And that's so in keeping with what we know of Truett, who would literally give people uh, the very coat off his back. So that's an overview of the volume with some rabbits trained yeah, no, that, <laughs> along the way. That's, a, that's a, an ongoing story of Truett, right? I mean, literally of giving clothes, whatever he had at hand, giving it to people in need that became even a source of frustration at home from time to time, if I remember from his biography correctly. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Truett saying, George, what have you gone and, gone and, done, with, gone and done with your coat now? <laughs> I mean, you'd come home coatless. And so here's the fascinating thing, Matt. Um, First Baptist Church of Dallas during George W. Truett's tenure was the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest churches in North America, yes, even in the world. But unlike so many in so many places who now have these significant pastorates, and, and I'm not taking a swipe at anyone, yeah. um, but, but Truett wasn't enamored with material things. Uh, he lived very, very simply. In fact, Truett had one self-described uh, uh, hobby and vice. Uh, he was a bibliophile. Hmm. The, the guy bought too many and read too many books. <laughs> but, but besides that, uh, you know, he simply lived life like the Good Samaritan, 
what what is mine is thine. Yeah. That's just the way Truett rolled, and um, it's 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 remarkable because you see it in the tone and the tenor of this text. I mean, it just bleeds through. It's just part of who he is. You know, I, and you've told me you've to, I've heard you tell this story multiple times. I've heard it from others as well that he was asked at least on one occasion, if not two, to become the president at Baylor. And can you tell us his response when, when pressed about becoming the president of Baylor? Yeah, so, you know, Truett serves as a uh, trustee, as we then called them, a regent, as we now call them, of Baylor University from 1934 to 1939. So, you know, Here's a guy who saves the university from financial peril, uh, eradicating in two years' time $92,000 in the early 1890s. And then he enrolls in the school that he helped to save. And he pays his tuition uh, by serving as a student pastor of East Waco Baptist Church, the only other church he ever pastored. And then he went to First Dallas in 1897, stayed there until his death in, 18, uh, in 1944. And time and again, Truett has this opportunity to pivot, to go to other places, to do other things. He was a master fundraiser. Mm -hmm. The so-called Baylor Sanatorium, which became Baylor Hospital, began through George W. Truett's fundraising prowess. He raised dollar upon dollar for so many causes in so many places. And you can imagine a, a university sees in Truett um, what we might call now a Brinks truck. Uh, you know, here's, here's a guy that every time he touches something, it turns to gold. Yeah. So he's approached and he says, I'm honored by the ask, which I must politely yet resolutely decline. For I prayed that the Lord would give me a shepherd's heart. And he's answered my prayer. Uh, true, it was a pastor. Right. I, I just love that story. Yeah. Particularly following his call where his church in East Texas uh, pressed him into ministry and called him uh, to ministry. <laughs> it's not something he put forward. They put him forward for it, which again is just such a fascinating part of his story. Uh, man, so 1910 to 1944, these letters span in the volume. And it's just, you mentioned this in the introduction, but it is pretty astounding to think of the world situation, the crises, the world wars, the other things that happened from night, I mean, just in the world from 1910 to 1944, that's a quite a momentous uh, 34 years that he wrote these letters. The, the, the specifics of World War One, World War Two, Spanish flu, Great Depression, any number of things. Do those show up in the letters or are they more in the background? Sometimes, Matt, he will mention them specifically, but more often than not, they're the music that plays in the background that you can, with an eye to see, discern. But true, it seems much more interested in principle than with any one problem. Mm. And that's what makes these letters so remarkable that it's as if though he has capacity and ability 
to see what we can't see, to hear what we can't hear, to anticipate and hope for that which is hard for us to anticipate and hope. It's just this radiant hope that radiates through these pages. And so he doesn't turn his attention so much so to the problem except with World War II. And mm. you can tell as these year-end missives come to a conclusion that World War II is rearing its ugly head, the Nazi regime, Hitler's dictatorship, and Truett simply can't help himself at that point from taking a swipe or two. But for the most part, Truett is apolitical. Truett will, of course, uh, preach against alcohol and gambling, just like <laughs> any good Baptist pastor in his day would have. But besides that, he really doesn't tend to weigh in. Now, some would say, well, you're forgetting about his address on the steps of the Capitol in 19, what was that, 1920. Um, but, you know, here's the thing about it. Which is his famous speech on religious liberty, correct? Yeah, that's right. But, but even then, Matt, I mean, he's speaking at some level of abstraction. What he's trying to say is that separation of church and state is a good idea and religious liberty for all is a good idea. So he's a, he's a principled uh, preacher and minister in many ways. Where does the title come from, With Radiant Hope? So on occasion, Truett, whose register is going to be more formal and more flowery than many of us are accustomed to, will weave through this volume certain turns of phrase. And on a few occasions in these year-end communiques, he will employ with radiant hope. He has, not unlike many of us, certain turns of phrase to which he enjoys returning. And this is one that really caught my eye because here we are in the midst of a pandemic. This was at the onset of it back in March when I was doing this editorial work. And I said, the word that Truett offers to his parishioners is a word that we need to hear in this day and in this age. And so I picked up that title from a, a turn of phrase with Radiant Hope. That's excellent. Um, so, you know, I mean, a lot of us know a lot of the details of Truett's biography uh, particularly those of us who went to Truett, and I've read his biography, read some about him, but you know as much as anyone about this, more than, than most, I would say. But what in reading this and editing it and putting it together, what did you learn about Truett, or kind of what rose to the top over that process of some of what you took away from this? Yeah, so Matt, you allude to the biographies, one by our friend Keith Durso, and one during the midst of Truett's life, as it happens, by his son-in-law, Powhatan James. Frankly, that's more hagiography than it is biography, although um, <laughs> I must confess that I slide into that myself. I sometimes saint him. At Truett Seminary, we have this place called the Heritage Room, as many of you will know, and it's next door to the Dean's Suite, next door to the lecture hall, uh, the Ball Lecture Hall. And sometimes as guests come in, uh, 
many of Truett's effects are there, uh, books and recordings, and even a couple of chairs out of Truett's office. And I sometimes say, you just think that Baptists didn't have a reliquary uh, right here. <laughs> we have our venerations. We do. <laughs> Let's see. I get my hands wrong on Zoom, but up to above my left shoulder is some of the Truett records that were given to me on one of my shelves. Um, so, and I have uh, behind us here, yeah, uh, his biographies up on the wall as well. So we all have these. Um, so what, what kind of came to the top for you of what rose to the top of what you learned from these? Yeah, so Matt, um, a few things, particularly with respect to Truett as pastor. First of all, he regarded his flock as his friends. I think sometimes that we create too great a divide between ministers and members. It's a delicate dance. It's a hard space to negotiate. And no one would have ever confused themselves with the lead pastor, the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. But one thing that I love about Truett is he was never condescending, but he condescended. He saw uh, the, the other as a brother, as a sister. He loved these people, Matt. Um, and if you can read, you can hear his heart for them. The second thing is not only did he regard them as friends, this wasn't over under, this was alongside. Mm. He also wanted them to flourish. He wanted God's best for them. And in any and every way possible, he wanted to assist them, serve them, aid them, help them. He was quite happy to roll up his sleeves and get into the nitty gritty, the day in, day out. I mean, this is not a pastor uh, who ministered at remove. This was someone who was actively engaged. A third thing, Matt, that occurs to me that these letters signal is Truett prayed for his people. Mm. He said, um, what I would pray for myself, I would pray for you. And to be honest, um, I need to do a better job myself of praying for our students, for our staff, for our faculty, for our university, for our leadership. Um, that just seems to be part and parcel of the pastoral role for Truett. It was as natural as the air he breathed. He loved his people and he prayed for them. That's really what jumped out to me of all the ones I've read is just, I mean, all of those, but that particularly that he had a, a vision for his people, <laughs> the life he hoped they would live, how they would flourish, which obviously was born in prayer. And that just comes out again. It was challenging for me personally to think about how often are we looking forward uh, in time to who we hope our Pete God is forming our people to be and how our, you know, the whole church is becoming that. Yeah, that struck out to me as well. Yeah. And as a result and an extension, he wanted to be helpful to others, even as he wanted 
them to be hopeful towards heaven. Um, some folks will read what Truett has written and will say, oh, you know, there Truett goes again, talking about, uh, you know, the sweet by and by. But for Truett, heavenly hope impinged and even collapsed mm. on the time in which he found himself. Uh, and, you know, I think Truett's eschatology is a good bit more healthy than our own. Um, you know, yes, of course, he had an inaugurated uh, eschatology in many ways. Truett was working for uh, the darkness will turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright. You know, you read him and you think, well, this guy's a post-millennialist. <laughs> but um, his, his inaugurated eschatology was absolutely tempered by the fact that he knew we were not home yet. And he had a hope for heaven that really allowed him and motivated him to do all the more on earth to be an answer to the prayer, thy kingdom come. And, and that, that's what I see. He, that, that was true for him. And he ached, Matt. I, I mean, you can see a, a pastor pining for this to be true for the people. Man, that's, that's good. That's so good. Um, you know, kind of a two-part question, because I think you've answered a lot of it, of, you know, how, how do these letters witness to us today? And so we might kind of combine and say, yeah, what is the witness today? But also, how, how does the seminary carry on the legacy of Truett and his ministry represented here? Yeah, so Matt, I think as I read with Radiant Hope, time and again, three things stand out to me. First of all, Truett has been captured by the gospel. You know, we talk about ourselves as existing to equip God-called people for gospel ministry. Um, in and alongside Christ Church by the power of the Holy Spirit, Truett had been grasped by the gospel. And Truett rightly sees the beginning of this gospel uh, at the nativity in Luke. And he returns to glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards those with whom God is well pleased. I mean, for him, this angelic annunciation reverberates throughout the years. And it's as if though, uh, whenever you want to date Jesus's birth, uh, you know, <laughs> BC 5, BC 4, whatever, uh, to this very day. And I think that, that Truett sees uh, an unbroken chain of this good news uh, into which people ought to lean and, and live out. So the gospel uh, is, is glorious and God is faithful. It, it's amazing time and again, uh, Truett is able to say, no matter what your worries, no matter what your woes, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother uh, God is um, near the brokenhearted. God cares for you. God will be faithful for you. And so thirdly, then, be a fruitful people. You've only one life to live. Live it well. 
it, it's not as if though you can recapture it after it's gone. So don't squander it. Mm. Uh, Truett saw a, a remarkable value in a single human life. And um, he wasn't about to let his people, uh, if he could, uh, undersell themselves. And so that's, that's what comes through. You know, and Matt, if we wanna talk about the legacy that Truett leaves for a seminary which bears his good name, and give a shout out to Dr. Herbert H. Reynolds and to those wise people who captured this name for our school. You know, you can give the dog a good name or a bad name. You can give the school a good name or a bad name. We have a good and godly heritage. In the midst of the pandemic, Matt, uh, my wife Carolyn and I took a field trip to the Sparkman Hillcrest Cemetery on Northwest Highway, Loop 12 in Dallas, as it happens, just down the, the street from our friends at Park City's Baptist Church. And it was a pilgrimage for me. I was on my way to see Truett's grave. Um, I thought, you know, if this were in some far reaches or climbs of the world, you know, you can't do this, but this is just a, this is a day trip. Yeah. So we get to the gravestone, which um, his friends at First Baptist Dallas, no doubt, erected. But on this gravestone is inscribed these words in quotations, ostensibly from Truett, although you don't know where he first said it or wrote it. But it reads, my greatest desire is to help the people and to magnify the matchless name of Christ. Mm. I tell you what, if Truett Seminary could produce friends that did not come to uh, be served, but serve, and to do so in a way that extolled Christ, I think that we would be leaning into and living out the legacy of George W. Truett. What a good word. And that, that's the hope, isn't it? What we're, what we're about here day in, day out. Well, I, I think it would be a fitting ending, if you would, to read one of these year-end letters as we have uh, pastors and ministers and others will be listening to this facing the end of year, perhaps even writing year-of-end messages and sermons and devotionals for their own congregation. Would you be willing to do that? And I'd love to. And as I do, let me simply say, I hope that you will uh, find a copy of With Radiant Hope. And if you're in a situation where you would like to reach out to me uh, to gain a copy, you know how to get in touch with me, Todd underscore still at Baylor.edu. And I will be happy to connect you with a copy of this volume, which has become very meaningful to me. But it is available at all the standard places where books are sold, right? Online and- That's right. Uh, you know, go to Amazon uh, and you can get it quicker than writing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you can get it cheaper, but you can get it quicker. <laughs> Um, but Matt, it occurs to me that of all the year in messages that we might read, wouldn't it be fitting if we would read Christmas 1920 
yeah. New Year 1921. Truitt and his parishioners at First Baptist Church of Dallas, they are at the end of this Spanish flu. Mm. Here we are now at the end of 2020, where we're now being told that vaccines are beginning to roll out. And as we look to 2021, we think, you know, this may not be the end to kind of still align from Churchill. It might not even be the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning. We, we, can, we can kind of see the end in sight. And into that situation in this one, Truett writes thus, as we come again to the gladsome Christmas and New Year days, when one's thoughts go wistfully out to his friends, let me send you this little gift, not a gift material, but a gift of the heart. Even the prayerfully fervent wish that the highest meaning of both days may be yours and joyful and abundant measure. At this happy holiday season, may you be constrained to sing anew the most grateful song for home and loved ones of the heart side and for friends both old and new and for all the tender links of sympathy and hope by which life is made so pleasurable and inspiring. If some memories of wrong choices and ill-kept resolutions in the past give you pain, may you turn to the future with clarified vision, with loftier views of duty, with more patient fidelity, with renewed power for the acquisition of things that are right and for the repetition of things that are wrong. And may all your future be illumined with the radiant colors of hope in all your relationships. May the way of duty be made plain. And may you have the will and the strength to walk therein at whatever cost, as the flowers unconsciously breathe their fragrance. So may you constantly radiate helpfulness and cheerfulness and righteousness and courage and faith. And thus may you continually repair ravages wrought by selfishness. May you know that your vocation here is to strive to make a better world, to help to hush its sighing and swell its singing, to strengthen the chorus of peace and goodwill throughout all the earth. Whatever may be the complexion of your varying circumstances, whether sorrow shall sometimes becloud your way or disappointment make its keen thrusts or temptation lay its attractive corals, coils, May you ever turn faithfully to the friend that sticketh closer than a brother and know the potency of his light and leading. May your trust in him be sure. And then may you rejoice that he who through the pathless sky doth guide the bird to its distant nest will keep you in the circuit of his unforgetting love. And when your day's work is done, may he bring you to the land where all sorrow is brought to a final end and all joy to a perfect consummation. Christmas 1920, New Year 1921, George W. Truett. Todd, thank you for joining us today and for your work on this volume. Friends that are listening and might be watching eventually, 
thank, I encourage you to reach out to this book to get it um, and, and to enjoy it year after year um, as we look to the end of year and the beginning of the other. Uh, I thought I might end just with this, um, true, it's benediction. Beautiful. And now as the people go their many scattered ways, may the blessings of God, bright like the light when the morning dawneth, and gracious as the dew when the evening tide cometh, be granted you all in each, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. amen. Thank you, friends. Have a great day. God. Thank you, man.